Hey, this is Lori from Hike, sharing stories that inspire us to explore, wander, and live. Today's episode is close to home. It's sort of in my front yard. You see, I'm bringing you an episode on the Flint River and the Flint River Watershed Coalition. I really felt like it was time to tell a different story, a different narrative about the Flint River and my hometown. You see, anytime that I go travel and someone, you know, of course asks me, well, where are you from? And I say, Flint, Michigan. Of course I get questions. Is the water safe? Like, what's happening? Can you drink the water? And I usually sit, you know, and chit chat for a while and, and answer all the questions. And unfortunately, through much of the conversation, I usually have to tell people it's not the river. You see, the river really wasn't the issue. It was a lot of other things, a lot of mismanagement and poor decision-making and cost-cutting that impacted thousands of people. When I wanted to share this story about the Flint River, I decided to go talk to Rebecca Fidoa of the Flint River Watershed Coalition. I had interviewed her a few years back when we were talking about recycling and how all of the plastic bottles that were coming into the city on pallets and pallets and truck by truck to help give water to the residents here, they were ending up in the river. You see, Flint didn't have a great recycling program at that time. And even when there was, not everyone used it. So we were talking about things that people could do to help keep the river clean and keep our water clean. So this episode talks about the Flint River and really shedding a different, well, a new light on it. There's been so much in the news and in the past discussion about all of the, you know, problems that the Flint River has faced. But I wanted to share a story about its recovery. It truly is the heart of this city. It runs through the heart of downtown. And this city, it's resilient. I know firsthand. And just a quick note as you listen in, we had a couple challenges with our sound, but I think you'll enjoy the conversation and you'll get to know more about the Flint River and what the Flint River Watershed Coalition is doing to enhance people's knowledge, to help people understand what they can do to both protect it and enjoy it. Take a listen to my conversation with Rebecca Fidoa, and I want to hear from you. I know you're going to have questions for me. You want to know what it's like here and how we're all doing. So drop me a line. Ask away. I'd be more than happy to tell you. So I'm here with Rebecca Fidoa. She is with the Flint River um, Watershed Coalition. So welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So first, kind of tell me, what is the Flint River Watershed Coalition? We are a nonprofit organization based here in Flint, Michigan with a mission to partner to protect, promote, and improve the Flint River and its watershed. 
So we do environmental education programs, we do some on-the-ground restoration work, and then we have some advocacy efforts that we undertake on behalf of the river. Um, and then we just do really fun stuff, like we have lots of opportunities for people to get out and kayak and paddle on the river, do some bird watching, um, fishing, um, all the things that a lot of people envision having to go up north here in Michigan, uh, you can do right here in the Flint River Watershed. And we love to promote that and get people out on the river. I feel like I'm definitely not utilizing the resource that I have right pretty much almost in my backyard. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, people that are just trying to understand, I mean, obviously people know what a river is, but like what is a watershed and how does that interact with the river itself? If you think of a watershed as basically like a funnel, um, and so the top of the wa- the top of the funnel is like the outline of the watershed. So it's all the area of land where, when it rains or it snows and the snow melts, all of that water trickles down to a point. So like the point of the funnel. So the Flint River watershed is actually about just just a little bit um, over 1,300 square miles of land, and that's most of Genesee County, about two-thirds of Lapeer County, and then we touch on five other counties, actually. So it's a big chunk of area where um, all that water ends up in a point, um, and it kind of goes from north to south, and then it flows north again up into the Shiawassee National Wildlife Refuge, where it joins up with the Titabawassee, the Shiawassee, and the Cass River. Um, And those four rivers join together to form the Saginaw River, which then flows out into Saginaw Bay. So we're also part of the greater Saginaw Bay watershed. Um, And then obviously Saginaw Bay is part of Lake Huron. So we're also part of the Lake Huron watershed. And you can just keep there. So then we're part of the Great Lakes watershed and we're part of the, uh, you know, Atlantic Ocean watershed. So it all kind of trickles in, right? I mean, anything that we're doing... If we're, you know, dumping something into the drains that we shouldn't, all of that really makes its way at some point into the yeah. into the river water. Now, that's yeah. good to know. We do have an impact. I mean, just generally everything we're doing, whether, you know, we're playing, uh, recreating, anything outside in this area, because it ultimately does impact the water source and water yeah. quality. Yes, indeed. Yeah, we're all connected. <laughs> yeah, we are. So... Now that I know what a watershed is and um, how I, you know, impact it, you know, I'm born and raised in Flint, so I've been here all my life and always, you know, known, you know, there's the Flint River. So, you know, you were talking a little earlier about people not really using it as we could be using it, but what do you think is the biggest misconception out there about the Flint River? Yeah, and the the Flint River has been um, sort of maligned for decades. And that definitely goes back to the industrial past of this area. So we had a lot of factories along the river, um, a lot of stories about what happened at these factories sort of pre-Clean Water Act. You know, none of that, which we can really confirm at this point. But we know that, you know, we have some industrial sites along the river that did contribute to um, some contamination and pollution problems with the river. And um, that that is fact. And, and, you know, we accept that as fact. But uh, the, for a lot of people, the story kind of stops there. And what in reality, the story goes on. So, you know, in, in the early 70s, we had the Clean Water Act, and that did such a tremendous job at addressing the pollution that bas- it 
the, the point source pollution. So anything coming out of a pipe into the river, the Clean Water Act did, um, did a tremendous job addressing that. And it cleaned up not just the Flint River, but waterways across the country. And so, you know, back in the day, we had things like the Cuyahoga River catching on fire. Those sorts of things don't happen anymore because of that piece of legislation. So it's landmark legislation that um, has just been so important in cleaning up all of our waterways, including the Flint River. Um, so that today, really, the biggest source of pollution that we have into the river is what's called non-point source pollution. And that is, um, again, when we're talking about the watershed, you know, all the rain and the snow um, going over the land, picking up um, dirt and oils and fertilizers and pesticides and everything else from our yards and our driveways and our streets and our farm fields and taking that um, to the nearest storm drain or, you know, drainage ditch. And, and discharging in the river. That's a much harder problem to solve because there's not like that one point that you can monitor and regulate. So, um, you know, groups like ours across the country have been working for the last few decades on how do we address the non-point source pollution. And so um, one of the things that we do here at the Watershed Coalition is just a public education effort where we work in collaboration with the Genesee County Drain Commission and some of our other um, environmental nonprofits to just get the word out there with simple programs like stenciling our drains with a message that says, don't dump here, this drains directly to the river, um, and doing other types of public outreach uh, efforts like just going and talking to service organizations and schools, and then um, just getting people out into the river and having them recognize what an important resource we have right here and that it's worth protecting. So um, to get back to your original question, the 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 story of the river has turned around dramatically and we have water quality testing data that show a very strong trend line up from where you know 10-15 years ago the scores would be in the port affair range and now we're seeing those scores elevate into the the good and even into the excellent range so we know that it's a river that's recovering and it's recovering quickly um, you know when you talk in the grand scheme of time and it's just such a tremendous resource for people to to get out, you know, for our local community to, to use, you know, on a hot summer day, you get out and you go fishing or go kayaking or just wading in the river. It's a great opportunity for kids to have some fun, you know, flipping rocks over and seeing what they can find in the river. There's all kinds of um, opportunities for people to enjoy the river. And that's a lot of what we want to do. We want people to recognize that this is such a valuable resource for our communities and that, you know, it's, no slight to our, our friends up north, but you don't have to drive two or three hours to have that outdoor recreation experience. You can do that right here. So, yeah. So let's talk about that. You know, you talked about the river recovering and, you know, so obviously things that happened in the past do, with time, with some care, with monitoring, it can recover. Um, mm -hmm. So when people are really looking to spend time at, at the river, you talk about you can, you know, fish or you can wade, you can paddle it. How are you doing things to bring people in and to kind of give them that exposure? Because for me, like I was saying, you know, I, I really want to go kayaking and I know I can do it here on the river. So why am I waiting? I shouldn't be waiting to go to Grayling or, you know, or somewhere, you know, in the, the, you know, Asable River or something like that. So, you know, how, how can we get me and others like me out there? 
Uh, so we have a growing kayaking um, program here at the Watershed Coalition that's divided up into a couple of different ways that somebody like you could get out and utilize the river. So um, the first prong of that is our, our scheduled guided paddles. And we do about 20 of those throughout the spring, summer, and fall. So I think we still have four or five left yet this season where um, we go to a different stretch of river for almost every paddle. Some of them are held during the week. Some of them are on the weekends. And you can just sign up, and um, we basically take care of the rest. We've got the equipment that you need. We, we bring you the, your snacks and your sunscreen. Um, and then we shuttle you either to your car or back uh, back to your car. Um, so we take care of everything and then we have guides that go along with you. So we have somebody leading the tour, kind of pointing things out that you might have missed. Uh, if we see an eagle, we always point those out or, you know, any interesting wildlife. Uh, we have people that sweep behind you. So if anybody's having any trouble, you know, we make sure everybody gets down that stretch of river safely. And um, we scout those stretches before we do them. So it's just a, it's a um, very hands-on guided travel down the river. Um, which is a great opportunity for people who maybe haven't gone kayaking before and want to try it out and see what it's like and, and, and um, I guess, be guided through the whole process. Yeah. Um, you don't, but you don't have to be a newbie for that either. Anybody can sign up and enjoy those. Uh, then we also responded to a need that was being expressed in the community for a couple of years about people who just want to have the flexibility to go out kayaking when they want to go out. Uh, so with the help of some local benefactors, we were able to launch our livery service called Kayak Flint. And that is based here in downtown Flint. And it's a stretch of the river from Tenacity Brewing, which is on um, Grand Traverse mm -hmm. here in downtown Flint. And for now, it just goes down to Mitson Road in, in Flint Township. And that's it's about a two, two and a half hour float, depending on how fast you feel like paddling and how high the river is. And that's open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you basically then can just come down and if, if, uh, if you, you can make a reservation online or just come down and um, you do it on your schedule. Um, you're on your own when you're on the river, but then, uh, again, we provide all the equipment. And when you get off the river at Mitson, um, you just give us a call and we come and pick you up and bring you back to your car. So there's some, some flexibility there. And then this is our first year of that program. So once we get through this year, we've got some kinks to work out, um, and we're going to look at expanding that to maybe allowing people to go a bit further on that trip or perhaps even take the equipment somewhere else and just bring it back. We, we still have to work that all out. But, you know, we're definitely looking at expanding the kayak flint program. So we're really excited about the livery service. And then we have um, our iKayak program which is a partnership with the Disability Network here in Flint. And that is, um, we run a series of workshops throughout the summer that bring people with various, um, both physical and cognitive disabilities. Uh, and then we train them on how to safely use a kayak so that they can, um, they go through these workshops. And then at the end, our goal is that they're equipped to be able to join us on um, one of our regularly scheduled paddles or, um, you know, come and utilize the services of Kayak Flint. Um, but, but so that people learn, like, if you've got arthritis, here's the way that you can kayak that doesn't exacerbate your arthritis. Or if, it, you know, we have some people with, um, like, some cognitive difficulties. So, so working with them to, like, this is what you have to do to safely kayak. Um, Jamie, who is our lead for that program, she's gone through a few different training sessions and, and the Disability Network is a, such a strong partner with that. Um, they could probably 
tell you in better detail about the kinds of things yeah. that they do in these workshops. But it's just it's an amazing collaboration that um, that just the it's so rewarding to see people who never thought they'd be able to kayak getting out onto the river. So we're really excited about that program. So you're making it accessible to everyone, and I really don't have an excuse <laughs> not to <laughs> yeah. utilize it. Um, what's been the feedback so far? You know what what are people saying who have done it? And are you seeing a lot of Flint residents coming in? Yes. Um, yes to both of those. Uh, uh, the feedback has been great. We see a lot of very positive comments like on our Facebook page and things like that for Kayak Flint. Um, people are really loving it. We uh, very purposefully changed the pricing structure so that um, City of Flint residents could enjoy Kayak Flint for $10 versus the $20 for Outkind because we wanted to make it um, a service that was available for people who may have limited income. Um, but you know, we, we want everybody to get, get out there and enjoy the river. This isn't just for a certain subset of people. It's for everybody. And and then our kayak Flint workshop, or excuse me, <laughs> we have too many that I always get the names flipped around in my head, but the I kayak program with the disability network, you know, that, that one just the, the, the response to that has been tremendous to the point where, um, we're at capacity for most of our workshops and we're looking to add more for next year. Wow, that's that's amazing. That's great news. I mean, besides just getting people out there, I think that's the first thing because then people care about it. They're getting some value from it, so they want to protect it. How are you guys also looking at cleanups and things of just general trying to conserve and and clean up dumping and different things that might occur right. in a river? Right. Um, so every spring we have our, our big event where we get sort of depending on the weather, anywhere from two to 400 volunteers come out on the last Saturday in April to do uh, a watershed wide cleanup. So we're always looking for more people to help out with that because unfortunately there's always more to do than what we have volunteers for. Um, but that has made a tremendous impact at a lot of the sites that we've done several years in a row where uh, like Thread Lake is a good example. When we first started working with the, um, the neighborhood and some other volunteer groups at that site, we were pulling things like construction debris and um, we even pulled a Pepsi machine out that first year, uh, you know, really big bulky items um, that we had to get some heavy equipment in there to clean out. So now uh, we're looking at maybe we don't even have to have that as a cleanup site anymore because we're just have we have volunteers just kind of picking up plastic bags and bottles, um, which is, you know, still a problem. But uh, it's just it's remarkable the change that we've seen at that site. And we've seen that at a lot of our sites um, over the years. So. The, the nice thing is we're seeing um, less and less of the, the dumping. The frustrating thing is, like, yeah, I drive around that day to all the different sites to, to just meet with the volunteers and say thank you and um, check to see if they need more supplies, that kind of stuff. And as I'm driving around, like, on freeways and um, some other lots and things, like, you just see so much trash. Um, it's just it can get overwhelming at times when you're, when that's what you're looking for, you start seeing it everywhere. And it's that it's, it's, it's a little daunting. So that's why I'm saying we always need more volunteers because there is just this crazy amount of stuff that's still out there. But on the other hand, we have such an impact on that one day. We have um, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of trash that we pick up. We're, we're moving into more stewardship type activities. So some of our volunteers are doing things like 
um, maintaining rain gardens and improving launch sites on the river, uh, removing invasive species, that sort of activity. Um, but it's a it's just a great opportunity for people to come out, have a you know work for a couple hours, have a tremendous collective impact, and then we bring everybody together for a lunch and celebrate our success that day, and then. Um, Throughout the rest of the summer, we have other smaller events where we know, um, you know, somebody has said, hey, there's a lot of tires in this location or there's a tree down in that location. And we do what we can to sort of ensure that the river is passable in a lot of our locations. So we have a really strong core of volunteers out in Lapeer County that work all summer long on keeping the, they call it the, the canoe path clear. And then, you know, in the fall when the water levels get low, uh, we spend a lot of time pulling tires out because I think if you put one tire in the river, it somehow multiplies <laughs> while it's in the river and, and begets probably 10 or 15 more tires. Uh, so for some reason, we're always pulling some tires out of the river. Um, maybe someday we'll get them all out. But that's always, again, um, it's an important effort. I don't know how they got there. I don't know how long they've been there, um, but we're working on getting them out. And, and that's, again, not something that just the water, the Flint River is facing. There's um, the National uh, River Network even has a program that they've partnered with. I'm forgetting who they partner with. It's a national tire dealer to um, work with groups like ours to to pull tires. And have them yeah. <laughs> I know it's been a couple of years, but I believe, you know, down at Mott Park when, you know, they must have had something, one of the events to get cleanup. And there was, I it was a huge stack of tires. Yeah. And even one was a tractor tire. Yeah. And and I was just flabbergasted. Like, how does that get in the river yeah. to begin with? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I would love to, maybe someday we'll figure it out. I don't know. And especially, like, the tractor tires are the ones that are, um, like, semi-trailer tra- tires that are still on the rims. Like, how did this, how is it still on the rim? But we've, you know, we've developed some really great local partnerships, um, like, with, uh, Shelton's Tire that's just um, a couple blocks from our office where they either take them for us for free or um, if we've got too many, you know, they charge us a very nominal amount to take their tires. You know, so it's, it's, it's those partnerships that really make a lot of what we do possible. And, and, and yeah, just it's such an amazing river and we don't know why people do some of the things that they do, but part of our education efforts are designed to sort of stop that type of behavior so that people, you know, you know, once we get people on the river and they recognize that it's not dirty and dangerous and, and scary um, and, and that it's actually quite beautiful and relaxing and, and um, something worthy of protection. And then, you know, those stories, they, they share those stories with their friends and neighbors and, and it starts to, um, you know, we're, we're growing a movement. And um, we, we see that impact on like comments on, on like MLive articles and things like that, where somebody will say something that is patently false and we don't have to be the ones that correct it there are people out there that we don't even necessarily know them by face or by name but they they've somehow been impacted by the river in a positive way and so they're out there telling their story and that's that's really where we start to see the change and and we are seeing that more and more these days it's really lovely in the last few years uh, you know i know that we've had a lot of challenges here in flint you know obviously with the flint water crisis and i know that you guys have had to really have a campaign and say well it's it's not the river and that's not the issue with the water so even you know anytime that i'm traveling people you say where you're from and people always ask 
you know, about how is the water? What's going on with the water? Why did it get like that? And, and they honestly are wanting to know. And, and I think as much even now where, you know, it's been a few years of this going on, of being able to get, you know, the, the truth out there and, and the right information is, is beneficial. And to, you know, understand that, yes, we do have a, a river here that, you know, you should come check out. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that was um, a, a bit of a frustrating time over and above the fact of what happened to our community. Um, but that the, especially the bigger press outlets, like the national press, kind of had this narrative that they wanted to stick to. And so even though, you know, we did a tremendous amount of outreach to, to the local and sort of state and regional level press about um, the data that we have and, you know, our experiences. And, and we were pretty successful in, in helping them understand that it was, it was, this was a man-made catastrophe, not the fault of the river, but the fault of making bad decisions at the water treatment level and not maintaining our infrastructure that caused this crisis. But for some reason, we just could not get the national press to pick up on that. And I think it was an easier narrative to just say that the, the river was polluted. And that was kind of frustrating. But uh, like what you just said, that um, more and more people are starting to understand that fact and that... Um, uh, it was just it was easy to point fingers at um, something like the boogeyman of the Flint River, and 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 now people are really understanding that that's just not the case. That the river, um, you know, all of our testing showed that it that it's within the 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 bounds of a healthy river system, and that uh, that uh, it's just a different water chemistry than what you would get from pulling from a lake like a lake Lake Huron where the water was coming from before, and they didn't account for that change in water chemistry. It's not that we had a corrosive river. It's that we just had a slightly different pH that wasn't mm-hmm. accounted for. Those sorts of things. So, so yeah. Sorry, I, I think I went off on a little bit of a no, tangent. Science, there, but. <laughs> science explains it all. That's what we really need <laughs> to get back to. Right. So, it's a are you? Experience. <laughs> yes. So, I'm sure you know. Thinking of other, even places in the state, places around the country, are you able to kind of share the successes of what you guys are doing? And you know both share them and then, you know, learn from other communities and, and, you know, what they're doing out there, you know, with rivers all over the, you know, country. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, the, the watershed world is a a pretty tight knit community. Um, so we, we have really great relationships with our, our colleagues and other watersheds around, especially in the Southeast Michigan area. And then we belong with, to groups like the National River Network and things like that. So we're, you know, attending their their conference and that's an opportunity to sort of take our story to a national audience. Um, had the opportunity to present some data there a couple of years ago about how it's not the river. And, and yeah, learning from other groups, sort of their education programs, what works, what hasn't worked. And it's just, it's a, it's a very... What's where I'm like collaborative community, the the nonprofit uh, watershed organization world. Um, so it's it's not uh, we're, we're, there's not a competitive feeling like we're all out there to make sure that people have this this love and sense of stewardship for the natural resources. And so the more that we can work together to make that happen, the better. So this is a week where we are in the spotlight. Um, I think it's back to the bricks week, yes. and yes. and uh, you'll see, you know downtown Flint come alive with all of the um, both uh, classic cars and, you know, and, and all of the cars on the bricks. So this might be a great weekend to be out on the river as well. 
um, to try that out. So I might do that and, and pick up a kayak and be able to, to experience it firsthand. So for the listeners, I guess, and just anyone, whether in the Flint area or beyond, you know, what are some ways that people can get involved and really make a difference um, in their community? Um, well, for our, for specific to the Watershed Coalition, you know, we would love to have people, you know, find us on Facebook, just search for Flint River Watershed. Pretty easy to find on Facebook. We put a lot of our information out there. They can find us on our website at flintriver.org. And then, you know, if you are looking to get out this weekend, if you're here for Back to the Bricks or any other event, um, we are open for Kayak Flint on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So if you search for kayakflint.com, you will find the reservation system for that, and we'd love to get you out onto the river. All right. And so the kayaking, how long does that go? Does that go through the fall or when when does yes. that end? Uh, our plan is to go at least through October 15th. And if the weather is proving to be, um, you know, another glorious fall like we had last year, we'll go toward to the end of October. Perfect. So I definitely have a lot of time yeah. to get out there more Although, than judging by how fast <laughs> the summer went you might not want to wait because it's going by now <laughs> well rebecca i just want to thank you for joining me today thank you so much for having me we we uh love having the opportunity to talk to people about the river so love to get you out here So thanks again for listening to my conversation with Rebecca today. To learn more about the Flint River Watershed Coalition and just more about the Flint River, go to flintriver.org. So I have to tell you guys, I have been kayaking on the Flint River now. So after I had my conversation with Rebecca, I got out there and this is now my third time. I went today and I have to give a shout out to Kayak Flint. They've been a great partner to the Flint River Watershed Coalition and bringing people to the river and showing them that, you know, this is a great resource for all of us who live near the city or in the city. So if you want to know more about my trip down the river, keep an eye out. I'll be dropping an episode soon about that. Also, you can find more out on my social media. So follow me at The Hike Podcast, over on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And of course, you can always email me at hikepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'll see you on the trail. And who knows, maybe even a couple of you on the Flint River Water Trail. (laughs) 